Ephesians 5.1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore be imitators of God. Uh, that, that really, in essence, is, is, is pretty cool. It's pretty freeing, if, if you think about it. How many of you have had kids and they, they just want to imitate their mom and dad? They really do. I mean, I watch, I watch, you know, some of our, like, like, you know, Ruth is our, our worship pastor and I watch her leading up here and then I watch her little girl, Thea, and she's trying to imitate her mom. You know, I mean, I mean, really it's good. They say imitation is the purest form of flattery, right? So, so the Bible actually gives us, it gives us this Paul's writing. It says, be imitators. It means it's okay. It's like you need, this is who, well, it's hard to imitate if you don't know who God is. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like me saying, hey, so-and-so, why don't you go to imitate, and I drop a name that you have no idea what they look like, what they think like, what they're, you know what I'm saying? And, and it'd be like, well, how am I going to imitate somebody I don't? You need to know God to be able to imitate God. But I love this because uh, the, uh, the, the definition of disciple is a student, a pupil, or a learner. In the New Testament, it's used for Jesus followers. Somebody say Follower. It often references the 12, but also indicates a wider group of believers. And I love this. Um, S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, uh, wrote this. He tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, and, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, Are you a leader? And being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, No. Turn, return the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she receives this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application form reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, here's our deal. I believe strongly in leadership. We've taken uh, teams to Zimbabwe uh, about three or four times. And I remember one of these times we were on a boat going down the Zambezi River and Zimbabwe, the country of Zimbabwe was on the left and the other country of Zambia was on the right. And it was noticeably greener and more lush. It just looked different. And this river wasn't more than 50 yards, 75 yards across. And so I turned to the pastor in the boat and I said, how is the government of Zambia. How do they treat their people? And he said, much, much better. And like there was, there was a physical difference. Leadership makes a difference. Leadership is important. Our culture today, except for Twitter, Instagram, does not place a premium on being a follower. In fact, uh, in our culture today, being a follower outside of social media is somewhat negative. You're not going to go into any bookstore and look for the followership section, right? You're looking for the leadership section because there's such, but listen, you know, good leaders have to be good followers. And, and when I walk through this, once again, uh, I, I believe that, you know, there's a paradox and a paradox defined as a situation, person, or thing that combines contradictory features or qualities. It takes them both. I mean, for example, Jesus was a paradox in many ways, right? He was the lamb, he was the lion. He was the alpha, he was the omega. And so when we look at this leadership and we look at this being a follower, because that's the, that's the title of our series, Jesus, while on earth, followed the lead of the Father, right? 
John 12, 49. He says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. And so you see that Jesus even modeled it. And I'm always impressed when I hear how many followers someone has, say, on Twitter or Instagram. In fact, I decided to look on my Twitter account because I have one. And I couldn't even get into it. I was like locked out of it. I mean, that's how active it is, right? And I finally got into it and found like, oh, wow, man, I got like, I don't know, 79 followers or whatever. That's pretty cool. But I know like we, we, we've got, um, I, I believe, I don't think he's here right now, but I believe our, uh, a, a few years back, my, uh, he's our young adult pastor now, but Pastor Stephen, you know, he, he's, he's super great at photography. I mean, just incredible. And I, ha- I heard that he had like 100,000 followers on Instagram. I'm like, bro, that is incredible. I've got like 40, you know. <laughs> but it got me thinking about what the process of discipleship is. And it got me thinking about what a follower or true disciple of Jesus is all about. John Ortberg writes this. He said, the difference between an admirer and a follower is this. An admirer is impressed a follower is devoted. An admirer applauds, a follower surrenders his life. And so when I, when I look after that definition, most people who would have, probably would have admirers on their Instagram because I'm like, bro, you got 100,000 people. How many people follow you, Pastor Keanu? 1,100. Man, that's good. I, I got 40, bro. What are you doing that I'm not doing? But anyway, can you think about that? It's like, okay, um, you don't have a thousand and one hundred people that would lay their life down for you and sacrifice for you and all that. You've got admirers. You have fans. So when I, when I look at this, the word that would most accurately and biblically describe what we're talking about is disciple. Psalm 91.1 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That, that really hit me this morning as I'm kind of going over the message and praying. It's like, you know, I, I think that we need to be people who, who follow who are disciples, but people that stay in the shadow. Because there is something that when you stay in the shadow, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There is there's something that, that, that stay in the shadow, that word abide means rest, journey, and lodge. And then we see that in Psalm 63, 8, the psalmist writes, my soul followeth hard after thee. Not half-hearted, hard. There's something about this that I believe the, 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 the Word of God is trying to challenge the church into, to move into, uh, you know, instead of being an observer, instead of being an admirer, instead of being a fan, but into this place of being a disciple. And a follower defined as a person who knows, who loves, and serves Jesus as the supreme passion of life. Everything else comes second. Here's what I found. The better follower, the better disciple of Jesus that I am, the better that I'm able to lead uh, our church, uh, lead our family, uh, be, be a leader in our community. Because the more that I, that I basically uh, lean into Him, the more wisdom, the more benefits, the more things that basically I, I, I change. 
Being a follower of Jesus always starts out with being part of a multitude. This is kind of interesting because the, the, the word multitude, somebody say multitude, really, uh, really spoke to me as I was uh, reading this next passage of Scripture. See, the multitude, in the multitude, you find that there's people in need of repair of spirit, soul, and body. And you might be in that category this morning. You might be that person that's in the multitude. And I want to read this and unpack this. Y'all with me? Y'all good? You're all quiet today. Jesus. Luke 16, 17, and he's speaking of Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon and who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. Now, that's a powerful picture of this crowd that heard about the report of Jesus, and they'd come to the end of their end. They were basically saying, I have no recourse, I have no answer, but I've heard of this Jesus, I'm going to go, and hopefully something will transpire in my life. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that although there were people in this crowd of great need, it doesn't mean that they became followers. And when you look at this, uh, there were people in this multitude that were curious, who wanted to see if, uh, you know, if they'd, what they'd heard about Jesus was true. But being curious does not mean that you're a true follower, that you're a disciple. There were also people who had reached the end of their hope to be healed, and being healed, and need, and curious, and those didn't make them followers. See, I've seen people, I've seen God touch lives, I've seen and still seeing people not make a decision to be all in. You know, it's like, yeah, God touched me and that's good. But, but then they go and they just continue to just kind of live, live their life the, 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 the way that they, they were before. And I'm like, when I see that, it, it, there's something in me goes, man, don't forget who brought you to the dance. You know, I've seen people touched by the Lord. And then later on, it's like, what happened? What happened to you? What happened to your passion? What happened to your love? What happened to that, that point, that encounter that absolutely changed your life? And yet we can be lured back into just kind of being observers or fans or admirers instead of really walking in this life abundant. But Jesus called us not to just receive fishes and loaves, not to just have the repair and the restoration that are needed. This is what he is. But it would be like me uh, being in a relationship with somebody just because of what they do, not who they are. You know, how many of you have had somebody that like, they kind of cozied up to you because you realized what you brought to the table? And then if you didn't bring that to the table anymore, they were like, well, you know, okay, cool. I mean, we've had it. You realize it. Okay, so, but Jesus called us to be followers. He called us to be disciples. And my life, your life is changed forever by becoming a follower. Men and women of old were absolutely uh, commended and renewed and recommended and rewarded for being a follower of God. I love the story of Caleb. Caleb gives me hope for my old age. You know, Caleb was like 85, man. He was just like, mm, he sees a mountain. He's give me that mountain. I'm going to take that mountain. I was like, this guy was amazing. I love that because there's hope for me. But you look at Caleb in the Bible in this passage. I'm going to read this. It says Numbers 14, 24. But my servant Caleb 
because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. There's that word follow. Follow me fully. I will bring into the land which he'd entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. So we see this. What's interesting in this passage of scripture, I'm not going to break the whole thing down, but no less than six times do you find the phrase, he has followed me fully. And they use the word wholehearted. There's something about that. Half-hearted doesn't get you anything. I mean, think about this. There's a lot of people like to do a lot of stuff, but if you don't approach it with your whole heart, it's not going to work. I would love to be a world-class athlete. I'm going I'm to give half heart. I'm just, I, you know, I, I, I love to be married, but I'm just going to give you half my heart because I want to reserve half my heart for myself. It doesn't work. How about you? Like if you were an employer and somebody comes and says, you know, I really want a job. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm looking to hire. Well, I'll give you half my heart. Ah, uh, it doesn't really work. Go work for somebody else. See, we don't do anything in life half-hearted. It just doesn't work. So we can't do that with our, any relationship. It doesn't work. If you think about this. But my servant Caleb is a different spirit, followed me fully. So there's benefits because it looks at, I love to break this down. He said, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants. See, it not only affected him, but it affected the next generation. I want to be this place in God and I'm struggling at times. I'll be honest with you. I struggle at times. I can get distracted. I can basically, you know, it's like, God, I want to serve you with my whole heart. And then my attention is like a squirrel. But I want it not just for myself, but I want it for my, for my generations. I want, them to, I want them to look back. I want to build something that's a legacy. I want, I want them to look back. I want my, I want my little grands to, to, to remember back in the day when they were babies. And they saw their, 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 their grand, their papa and their mimi basically lifting their hands in worship. I want them to have those memories in there. I want to set a legacy. I want to be generous. So, so they realize, okay, my, my, my papa was generous. I'm going to be generous. My papa loved God. I'm going to love God. You know, you can affect the next generation by being wholehearted right now. But I'm telling you what, what parents do in moderation, sometimes children will do in excess. I mean, we got to be careful with that. So, you know, if I'm half-hearted, maybe they're no-hearted. I want them to see me. I want them to, I, I want them to basically understand what it looks like. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't have it all together all the time. There's, there's things I wish I could do different, would do different. But I'm trying my hardest because I recognize that throughout Scripture, you find men and women that are commended for following God and being all in with this. And there's benefits. In Psalm 103, it says, it says Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. He forgives all my transgressions and heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. Who crowns me with everlasting kindness and mercy. Who satisfies my years with good things so that my youth might be renewed. I mean, that's, that's Psalm 103. I'm like, there's a benefit. There's a benefits to this. It's not the only reason we do it. But there's something about walking in the shadow of the Almighty. Finding my shelter in Him. Putting my trust in Him. Putting my whole heart in Him. Understanding that, that, that something different trans basically happens in my life.
There's a difference between an observer, an admirer, a fan, and a follower. An invitation that Jesus extends is to follow me. Not just to admire me, not to just think well of me, not just add some of who I am to you, not observe from a distance. It doesn't work. Going on 43 years of marriage, I just want to observe you from a distance. I want to give you half my heart. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with people. It doesn't work with God. Be imitators of God. I love this. I love this. It's like you see this childlike thing and they want to imitate. They want to imitate their mom. They want to imitate their dad. They want to imitate their, their grandpas and their grandmas. And God is saying, hey, listen, you see how they do that? I want you to do it too. Be imitators of God. But to imitate something, you've got to know something. To imitate someone, you've got to know them. You've got to know how they feel, how they, you know, their heart, all this kind of stuff. And this is what it's saying. This is a commitment, question, and invitation. Robbie, I admire you. I'm your greatest fan. But it needs to be more than that. I would be content to observe you and think well of you. They wouldn't be your spouse because the commitment really hadn't been made. That's not a commitment. So this morning, I want to explore a couple things that mark a follower, the things that set a follower apart, a disciple apart. Your life and mine is changed forever by becoming a follower. Some people, now I want to just kind of take a moment. Some people think that before they make that step, of giving their heart to Christ, that they have to understand everything. I was talking to a young man a number of years ago. He he basically married um, a, a, a beautiful uh, young lady that was a believer, and he hadn't made he had not made the step yet. I mean, he was going to church, and and so her her dad actually said, "Hey, would you come up and would you talk to my son-in-law about Jesus?" I'm like, "Okay, no pressure." So I, I, I'm sitting on a, you know, we, we, we did some hunting together and we had a break and I'm sitting on a, sitting on a little hill. And, and so I started talking to him. I said, so what do you feel? Like, so, you know, you're, you know you're, your wife loves the Lord and you guys are going to church. What do you feel? So, I, I don't know. He says, um, he says I, I feel something when I'm there. I feel, it kind of messes me up a little bit. And then a few days later, I'm okay. Like, hmm, okay, cool. Well, and this young man, and I know he'd be okay with me telling the story, but he was a mechanical engineer. He's in college. And, and I said, so why don't you, I mean, you, what you're feeling is you're feeling the invitation of the Lord. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He said, behold, I knock on the door of your heart. And if you open it up, he said, why don't you do this? I said, well, and because he's a mechanical engineer, he's thinking through this. He's trying to intellectually do it, which I think you can. I believe you can come to Christ intellectually. I, I do, but the, there has to be a heart thing. It's got to be more than just head knowledge. So anyway, here's what I did. I know the Lord just gave me this. I said, so when you met your wife and you married, you've been married for about a year, uh, did you know everything about her before you made the commitment? And he goes, oh, no. I still don't know everything about my wife after 42 years of marriage. It's a journey. You take the step of faith. You respond to the invitation, and then you have a lifetime of basically learning who this God is that you are called to imitate. It's a step of faith, and you do this. So not only does the Bible tell you to be imitators of God, it also tells you that it's an inside-outside job, not an outside-inside job. 
A lot of times we try to come to Jesus and we're going, well, man, if I get the outside all cleaned up, then I'll be good on the inside. No, that's not what it is. That's what actually religion would tell you. But actually what the Bible tells you, you take that step and He's going to give you a new heart. He's going to give you a new spirit. He's going to basically equip you, empower you. Grace will overwhelm you. You're actually going to be, you're, you're not going to be conformed to the world, but you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because the Word of God is going to be able to wash some things away. You're going to change from the inside out. And that's the beauty of it because you don't have to supply the firepower. He supplies it. A lot of times it's like, well, I just got to put on my boots and make this thing happen. No, you don't. You just have to surrender. And when you surrender and then you begin to walk in this relationship, things just start changing. The way that you think, the way that you talk, things on the outside will change. So I want to teach this morning. You, all got, you guys all with me? Oh, Pastor Stephen, I was talking about you this morning, bro. You missed it, but it was good. It was all good. Wasn't it good, church? Was it good? Okay. But listen, I'm so blessed by our team. Uh, Robbie and I were able to last week go down to, or go over to Montana and uh, minister at a conference and then uh, at a church over there. And I, you know, and I get back and the first thing I hear is like, oh, Pastor Brian did such a great job preach. I love it when he preaches. Worship's good. It's so good. We're a resource church and I'm so grateful that our church allows us to go out and minister to other churches, other pastors. Amen. Can you give our team a hand? They just do a great job. But there were great men and women in the Bible that responded to God. They're moved to action by God. And I want to explore a few, a few of those this morning. First of all, Moses in Exodus 3, 1 through 4. It says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, this is important because it speaks to me of a couple different things. First of all, as Moses was not created to do the ordinary, and he was not created to live in the wilderness. There was, there was a plan, there was a purpose on his life, but it wasn't activated until he actually turned and he, be, and he said, here am I. I, I become not just a fan, not just an admirer, not just somebody that's observed, but I, I become all in, I become a follower. And, and, and the thing that's kind of interesting is Moses' name, there's a spiritual application if you, if you look at it, because Moses' name meant to be drawn out. And so he was created to be drawn out. And the invitation of Jesus to move from opposing or resisting God, or just admiring God, or being an observer, or a fan, is the invitation to be drawn out of captivity and into a glorious and marvelous kingdom and future. You and I were never created to live in the captivity of wilderness or below the purpose and intent of God for our lives. We were created to walk in this fellowship, in this partnership, and under this lordship of Jesus. How many of you have been married for more than like 10 years? 20, 30, 40, 
40, 40. 50, Tommy, you're going to win. Not 50. Anybody 50? 50. Can I hear 52? Can, do, give me a 53. Oh, man, there's still hands going up. You know what is so cool about that? When I'm thinking about relationships, I'm thinking about, I bet you, I bet you, you go to the store and you don't even have to have a list from your wife because you know exactly what she would buy. You know what she wouldn't buy. I do. When I, when I go, she might give me a little, hey, would you pick up this? I know which half and half. Uh, I don't even pick up half and half anymore. It better be heavy whipping cream. You know what I'm saying? I know because there's this, there's this all in this commitment. And you st- it's kind of weird, but you start thinking. You start, th- come on, do you guys like, like Dave and Rhoda, how long have you guys been married? Dave, you need to, you need to know that. You looked at her. I heard 58. Did I hear 58? 58 years. That's crazy. You can, that's amazing. Here's the deal. I bet you that he can hear her voice in his head. Right? This is a thing. This is the kind of relationship that God wants you to have with him. Because in the Bible, it says, Paul writes this, he says, well, he says this, he says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of the man the things that God has purposed. Right. But now, by the Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. Oh my goodness. You, it, the Bible actually says that your mind, you're, you, you can think like God. God thinks because God is actually in such a great relationship, empowering by your word, being transformed, that you actually know, I know what my wife would want in a situation, and I walk into confidence in what God would walk because I have the mind of Christ. Does that mean that I don't miss it? No, I miss it. It's imperfect. It's like sometimes I'm like, okay, God, is that you? Is that me? Is that the devil? Whatever. But there's something about this relationship. You'll never get to that place if you're not this fellowship, this, 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 this discipleship and following type relationship. The other thing that strikes me is the burning bush speaks of the events that God has and will place in our lives to get our attention, to invite us to this journey of life. Let's be honest, how many times have we ignored or bypassed the signs? God trying to get your attention. It happened to me, man. I was in I was in high school and I was living my own stuff. I just pretty well not doing any godly stuff at all. And I remember one time we were I'm out with a buddy of mine and we'd been basically drinking and just doing stuff we ought not to do. And it was it was snow, it was cold, it was ice. He's driving. I remember he's driving this two wheel drive pickup, and I looked down and he was going about eighty miles an hour, and I realized. I mean, I, I sobered up just like that. I said, you need to slow this thing down. He basically hits a brake and we ran head, I mean, we ran head first into a telephone pole. And I got out and I realized God's just spared my life. There was an event. Pay attention. Pay attention. But Moses not only turned aside, but he responded with presenting himself and partnering when he said, here I am. Let's look at Samuel really quick. 1 Samuel 3.10, and the Lord came and stood and calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Now the story is that Samuel 
as a, as a young boy, had been presented to the temple to serve by his grateful parents. He knew about the things of God, but now has the mark of a follower because he's responding. The word hears in the Hebrew understanding is to listen carefully, to do it, and to submit to it. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So when you look at the Hebrew concept, it's like, it's like listen carefully so you do it. Listen carefully so you submit to it. And that's what we're called to, to be doing. So a follower and disciple is not only here, but a doer of the word. Or how about Isaiah? I love Isaiah. Isaiah 6, 7 through 8. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. That was his response because he wasn't just an observer. He wasn't just a fan. He wasn't just a, he was basically a follower. And he said, this is going to be my response. And the continuing mark of a follower is response. How many of you have ever like said something to your kid and they just nod their head, but they don't do it? Right? So, 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 so the mark of a follower's response. And the word here, here's what I love. The word here. Here am I, send me. In the Hebrew means to stretch, to extend, to direct, to send off or out or out forth. When was the last time that you were bold enough, courageous enough to say, God, stretch me? When was the last time you got up in the morning and said, I just feel like God wants to extend me today? I just feel like God wants to make me uncomfortable today. That's basically what he was saying. He was saying, here I am. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, do it. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And if you're an observer or a fan, you're not going to do that. That's a mark of a follower where you go, here I am, God, send me. I, I'm willing to get out of my comfort box. We have our comfort zones. We got our comfort boxes. But I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing. It takes courage. I dare you. Double dog dare you. Stretch me. Stretch me, Lord. Like, oh man, are you kidding? And then like, Lord, I just, I could just see a picture of the Lord. Hey, did you hear that? Did you, do you hear what my brother, did you hear what Severin said over there? He said, stretch me. He's like, oh, come on, let's go. It, it takes a lot. I do know, Lord, I, I do know, brother, you're going to Africa. I do know you're going to Africa. It's going to stretch you. You're going to see some things that you're not going to be comfortable with, but God is going to stretch you. And I see in that stretching, there's a deposit that's going to go in that will actually reframe some of your foundational stuff in your life. It's like you're going to see, you're going to perceive, you're going to hear, and you're going to come back, and there's going to be this amazing change in your... It's not going to be like over overhaul. But I mean, it's going to just add some beautiful stuff to your life. There's a lot of people that don't want to go on a mission trip because I'm not sure what God will do. You know, God, I, I've been like, I've seen some weird stuff on mission trips. I've seen some demonic stuff on mission trips when I really wasn't sure if I believed in it. And like, then when you see it, you're going, crowd, man, that's a real deal right there. That's Bible. We got a comfort zone, church, and we got to get out of it. We have to be much less scripted. 
We have to be willing for God. And I'm not saying that it gives you permission to do weird stuff. Stop being weird. I don't like weird people. But you know what I do like? I like supernatural people. I like people that aren't afraid to to move in the divine because I believe that that is, actually if you think about it, it's supernatural, but it should be natural for a believer because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and and the gifts of the Spirit and all the things that God wants to do through us. If we went in back in time in the early church and we saw what, how the early church turned the world upside down, we would be amazed at some of the things that they did. Because, and that's natural stuff. But it takes courage. Let's look at Mary. Luke 1, 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Come on, have some courage. And the angel departed from her. Be unto me speaks of let it come into existence. Can you imagine this 16-year-old, some scholars say maybe even 13, 14-year-old, angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're going to basically carry and give birth to the Lamb of God. And she goes, how is this going to happen? The Lord, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Remember shadow? Shadow. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I don't know of a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl that would just see, let it be unto me according to your word. It'd be like, Mom. Okay, so what, what kind of courage? Or Ananias. I love Ananias. Acts 9.10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. You don't hear much about Ananias after this. You don't hear people like, I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody name their baby Ananias? I don't know. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. It's like, oh, man, I'm telling you what. When you say, here I am, Lord, you never know what God's going to ask you to do. So so Saul had been terrorizing the church. He'd been actually uh, breathing murderous threats. A lot of scholars believe that when Stephen was martyred, that they laid his cloak at the feet of Saul, and he he was in charge of all of this stuff. And now Saul had this conversion on the road that Ananias hadn't heard about. And now the Lord speaks to Ananias. I want you to go to this house where this terrorist is at, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And what's he say? He says, here I am, Lord. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to move beyond. This is, this is crazy. I don't think he had any fear. How could you have fear after God speaks to you in a vision? And he just went and did it. It's pretty amazing. I want to shift to the story in Mark chapter 5 about the Gerasene demoniac. And it illustrates a couple of responses and outcomes. In Mark 5, 1 through 20, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met out of him the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. You just got out of the mall. You just got out of your car in the parking lot of Walmart. And here comes this guy that's all undone. Listen to the description. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Even with a chain. For he'd been bound with chains and shackles, but he wrenched the chains apart, broke the shackles in pieces. No one had this. This was like Samson with a demon. And he meets you in the Walmart parking lot. And it's crazy. Night and day. 
Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What an amazing encounter. Can you imagine how wild, how unkept, how unshaven, how unwashed, how unclean this man was? It'd be like, some of you guys being in like elk camp for a thousand days. Or be like, you know, a cabin at youth camp with a bunch of teenagers and no deodorant. I don't know. You know, it's just like, sorry, been there, done that. The tombs were usually these small square rooms that were carved out of rock and they would have an upper level and a lower level. And the homeless, uh, the mentally, uh, the, 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 the insane, the diseased would basically stay there. And because of they were unclean of the court, they were left alone. And this guy had been cutting himself with rocks, which was most likely a form of demonic worship. Screaming, crying out. And then he encountered Jesus. So I want to I focus on two or three things as our worship team comes. First of all, the response of Jesus. you got to look at the response of Jesus. Jesus' first response was to minister to him. It says, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Would that have been my first response? Would that have been your first response? Now, I'm not suggesting that anytime you see some unsheveled, unkept, whatever person that you just start casting demons out of them. But sometimes it could be appropriate. There's a lot of demonized people that are just walking around and, and we're, we're not super responsive. But I think the point is this. Do we have the option of just ministering to the pretty people? Or are we willing to let God use us in just doing what God's going to do? There's a lot of broken people out there. Man, they're in chains. They're, they're, they're in captivity. They're in darkness. They're in depression. They're in oppression. They're not pretty. It's not pretty. Their life is messed up, jacked up, backed up, stacked up against all odds. And what they really need, the Bible says that all creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God. It's like there might be people that you meet that the very, that very encounter might be the encounter that actually flips the script on their life. And if we are a follower and a disciple of God, we will be able to hear the voice of God with the appropriate response. But there's a lot of times it's like, well, that's not in my comfort zone. I think Jesus showed us the model. Let me continue. Jesus asked, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we're many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country because really what he was doing, he was talking to the legion of demons. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. This guy had friends, man. It wasn't just like one, it was like a legion. And so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits, plural, came out, entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now see, there's a couple fascinating aspects of the story. In the accounts of Luke and Matthew, the demons were asking Jesus not to send them into the abyss, which really kind of speaks of the reality of, of heaven and hell. 
And a lot of times we don't preach on hell much. That's not our destination. But yet at the same time, Jesus, Jesus preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. Because he came. Behold the Lamb of God that comes to save the world from their sin. So we follow Jesus. Every knee and name will bow before him. It says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And I'm like, that just boggles my mind. I'm like, why were they afraid? Because I think they realized that something divine and supernatural had happened and it wasn't in their comfort zone. I think they realized at that moment that Jesus was who he said he was. And if Jesus was who he said he was, then everything that he said had to be true. And then we go on and they beg Jesus to depart from their region. Man, what a response. Most likely these were Gentiles or non-observing Jews as no one else would have a herd of 2,000 pigs. But here's what struck me. The people were not moved by the miracle of transformation that they'd seen in the span, but, but, but the loss of their economic means. They were more worried about the bacon going over the, the cliff than they were whether the divine had happened and somebody got delivered and healed and set in the right mind. Can I, can I just say this? Instead of being moved and responding rightly to Jesus, they responded by resisting them. Here's the Son of God coming to deliver you from captivity, to bring you out of darkness, to bring you into abundant life, into eternal life, into purpose-filled life. And they were more concerned about the pigs, what they would have to give up. I love you, God, but don't touch my economy. Don't touch my checkbook. Don't let a fear of a lifestyle change keep you from responding and following Jesus. Most likely you need a change anyway. And his plan and purpose is so much greater than what you see. A lot of times we're so concerned about, well, man, if I'm really all in, God's going to make me give something up. Well, you probably don't need it anyway. Jesus wants you to be in your right mind. He wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants to change your clothes. He wants to clothe you in righteousness. He wants to change your mind. He wants to change your circumstances. You can be different. You can live differently. And here's where we see it. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had possessed, had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Everyone marveled. That's the response of the free. This man responded as a follower. He went to his friends. He went to his family with the good news. He began to proclaim about the encounter. He began to proclaim about the response that he received from Jesus. Can you imagine the testimony? Hey, Uncle Jack, do you remember me? Do you recognize me? Man, I've been up in the tombs. I've been in the caves. I've been in the chains. I've been, whatever, and, and, and I'm free of that. 
And I want to tell you who set me free. It was this Jesus that you've heard about. He set me free. Great men and women in the Bible in history were followers of Jesus and responded to such. Sometimes what happens is we get acclimated to our chains. We get acclimated to our, I've got my cave decorated just the way that I want it. And we get comfortable. And then God comes along and gives us an invitation, gives us a deliverance, gives us a freedom. And then we respond. Great men and women in the history of the Bible were followers of Jesus and they responded. I love that. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Man, I'm, ta- I'm telling you what. I am committed to stay in the shadow. I'm committed to stay in the shadow. If I stay in the shadow, it's because I'm abiding. If I stay in the shadow, it's because, man, I'm clinging to Him. I've got a, no other recourse. Nothing else that works Nothing else is going to happen. Nothing else is going to fulfill me. And responding to the invitation to follow God releases you from captivity, transforms you from your brokenness, propels you into freedom. And the Bible says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There's really two components. It's kind of interesting if you ever take like a preaching class. It's two things. They say, Tell people what you want them to know, and then tell them what you want them to do. Boils down to that. What I want you to know is being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, will absolutely change everything in your life. And I don't want you to be frightened of that. I think there's a lot of people in this room, probably a lot of people online with us that you've already made that determination. You've already made that decision, man. I'm walking it. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Nobody's arrived. We're all just in this journey. But there might be people here this morning that you're, you're just going, man, I, I really haven't made that step. I admit I've been more of an observer. I've been more of a fan. I've been more of a, you know, I, I need to be a follower. I want you to bow your heads and hearts with me this morning. If you're here this morning, there's a beautiful picture, an invitation in the book of Revelation where Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears me and opens, I will come in. Maybe you are not content anymore to just kind of view Jesus out the window of the door. But you're saying, Today's the day I need to open the door of my heart. I need to... I need to let him in. The beautiful picture is the only handle on that door is on the inside. Only you can open it. If that's you this morning, I want to agree with you. The Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I want to be that witness with heaven of you opening the door of your heart, taking that step and saying, today I become not just an observer, not a fan. I become a follower of Jesus by asking Him to come in, by surrendering my heart to Him as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? You're saying, today, Pastor, thank you. Today, Pastor, I wanna, I wanna, uh, I wanna, I wanna make that, I wanna open the door of my heart to this Jesus. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, sir. Thank you up there in the balcony. Come on, can we put our hands together? I mean, people are doing it, man. This is amazing. Can we stand up, church? Let's all stand together.